Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Make sure you have some banter. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Good evening. And of course, the Stat King, Dave O'Brien. Hello. Another fantastic night in the Champions League. We're going to be giving you all of our reaction to tonight's games and yesterday night's games. Of course, a little Europa League preview, the big match coming up, Borussia Dortmund versus Liverpool. And I'm delighted to say we've got Tancredi Palmieri, being sports correspondent, Italian journalist on the show to talk about Antonio Conte to Chelsea. Whether it's the right move, Stamford Bridge Club. First up, though, Champions League reaction, the big match tonight, PSG 2 Manchester City 2. A great result for Manchester City. A brilliant game in Paris. Uh, Manuel Pellegrini's team will be happy with that result. Taking it back to the Etihad, of course. Yeah, they look, they look really good. I was really impressed with um, their shape off the ball. I feel like having like, someone like Navas um, playing right midfield gives you a lot defensively. And then you've got the, the midfield that's actually pretty decent together. Fernando and Fernandinho. You know, take Yaya Torre out of that situation. You have a pretty functional midfield. One holder, one sort of box-to-box playmaker. I thought that Fernandinho was so good in the game. I thought, you know, his, his work rate, his ability to sort of join in into the attack was superb. And he took his goal really, really well. You know, jump at his stats, he made 12 tackles in the game, which is pretty incredible. That's at like Casemiro levels of craziness. But he, it was just a really good performance. And I thought Fernando as well obviously made the massive mistake for the goal. But apart from that, I thought he was quite good in the game. Obviously, nicked the ball for City's opener uh, in central midfield, a really good turnover. So I think it was a pretty decent balanced performance from Manchester City. And if they hadn't sort of made the tiny mistakes, you know, the Fernando one and, and potentially the, the penalty as well both pretty individual mistakes they, they could have been far more comfortable for them mm, it was that goal was a, it was a classic FIFA goal that, that yeah. Zlatan scored there who, who do you think was to blame for that one because I saw some suggestions that you know it's Joe Hart's fault um, for not sort of getting back in position earlier um, but yeah, they both weren't Fernando's great. Sort of, I mean, he was sloppy when he yeah. received the ball, but also, you know, a professional footballer sort of looks at the space around their other players. Both mm. of them were at fault, really. Um, yeah. I mean, to say that someone needs to give you a shout when you've got a man like that, you sort of think, yes. You should at the know, same really, time that, At the same time, you should know the space around you. You know, and didn't Zlatan do like a little uh, Q&A earlier today when they said, someone said in the Q&A, will you pile yet more misery? onto Joe Hart and you sort of think <laughs> I think he said something like we'll see and every time someone says we'll, we'll see, see. Then you sort of feel like what they mean is yeah I know he didn't actually have 
a great game, did he, Zlatan? I mean, um, obviously missing that chance where he just threw clear on goal, skying out over the bar, and obviously the penalty. Mm. Joe Hart for once actually saving a penalty when he tries those sort of mind games, pulls the faces, and, you know, uh, looks a bit cocky, actually managed to save. Uh, <laughs> Is that a mind game? <laughs> All right, yeah. You know, chewing gum with your mouth open, that's... Um, yeah, that's really off-putting. I mean, it works, so it must be a mind game. But um, <laughs> we, we talk about that error there, Dave. We talk about Fernando's error. But there were a lot of errors from both teams. I mean, it wasn't exactly a defensive masterclass. And there was four of the most expensive defenders in the world. <laughs> on the and you, just, you couldn't tell, could you? No, it was crazy. Uh, have, a look, have a look back next time you watch the replay of the Fernandinho goal. I think it is. Have a look at where David Luiz is positioned in the move. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's like he's like just sat on the edge of the area that he just slowly trots back. And Aurier has to cover and at centre-back makes an absolute mess of it. And obviously Fernandinho um, hits a deflective shot and it goes in. But what the hell was he doing for that goal? The Kevin De Bruyne one, he was like, it was like he was dancing. He sort of was caught the wrong way. Then he tried to turn himself back the other way. And he was completely out of position. Obviously, um, De Bruyne put the ball into the back of net. A really good finish. And then what, later on in the half, where he nearly dislocated his ankle by being in. Again, his body shape was atrocious. And he's just the crazy. one starts for Brazil. Mm. <laughs> what else have they got then? You know what I mean? Mm. Crazy. He also... Uh... He's now the proud holder of the record for the quickest booking in Champions League history. <laughs> seconds. Yellow card after 12 seconds. Oh, yeah. 12, 12 seconds is what I read officially. Wow. Which is, I mean, it's very impressive in a way. Um, Dave, you talk about that about Serge Aurier. I saw suggestions on Twitter that Laurent Blanc needs to go on Periscope and uh, completely chew out <laughs> Serge Aurier, get his own back. Yeah, and on most of the team as well. Alex Groom at Groomy, great username, has tweeted in saying, KDB is God. Hearts in the eyes face. Discuss. What do you reckon, Dave? Is he God? Is he the Almighty? (laughs) Is he the Almighty? You'd say he is the almighty, the creme de la creme of counter-attacking football, which is quite sad that Pep Guardiola's going to get his hands on him. But although KDB wasn't fit today, he was brilliant. On that counter-attack, that break, the space he moved into for the goal was excellent. I love the way that he drifts wide, you know, crosses the ball, creates chances. He's just the he's, he's the perfect player for any side to build your team around. So if mm. Pep can come in and wow. take him to the next level, boom, Manchester City are going to go far. Um, two all then, as I said, Lawrence, it is a great result. I think according to UEFA, when the score in the first leg is two all in the Champions League, the away team goes through 80% of the time. Yeah. So it's a fantastic result for City. It gives them a really good chance of going through and a chance that not many people gave them going into this game. Yeah, yeah. Although that 20% is normally the, the percent that sort of strikes when City are involved. Um, you know, yeah, they're, they're playing, they're, they are playing the mercurial talents of uh, PSG and with both sides sort of having so many uh, problem-prone players or mistake-prone players and so many huge talents, we see tonight how quickly a game can change. And I think both of them have sort of shown, you know, however much investment and those sort of things. They've, they've got, both got something obviously that they uh, can value, but they've not spent necessarily in a way which makes them formidable sides. Um, and I think they're both going through the process at the moment. So we'll see. Second leg, I mean, it's, it's all up for grabs. At 2-2, you still wouldn't put it beyond the likes of Zlatan and those guys. Obviously, with Zlatan in the last season there, but then Manuel also looking at his last season. Mm-hmm. Farhan on Twitter tweeting in, Dave, at uh, Enzo. He said the Qatari's five-year plan for PSG. This is the final year where they're expected to win the UCL bye. Um, it doesn't look great going into that segment, of course, but it's still, you know, it's still open game. They could still maybe fulfil that plan that's been put in place by their owners. 
Does that mean that they have to sack themselves? No. Well, they, they failed on that five-year yeah. plan. Doesn't that just mean you quit? Well, I think when you sack yourself, yeah, just David, give just up. quit. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Rock would be the one sacked if anyone. Um, but I, I, I think carrying the can. I think with that, they've still got a chance in this game. Obviously, um, two goals. Obviously, it's a big advantage for Manchester City. But if PSG can nick the first goal, momentum may swing. City may start to crumble. We've seen them crumble a number of times. But I don't know. I said it on TFR on Monday that I just feel I keep thinking that this City time sit side is going to be. I've just got a feeling they're going to get to the final this year. It just seems like they don't, you know, they'll be done in the league if they, you know, they've got to focus on the Champions League, really. The league, yeah, coming fourth is coming fourth, but it doesn't matter for Pellegrini. It doesn't matter for some of these players because they'll be leaving Manchester City next season. Yeah. So the big trophy yeah. that everyone's got their eye on is this Champions League, and it just kind of works out for me. But PSG have also sort of got to get probably, Di uh, Maria was coming a little bit too deep for me in the second half. When they brought on Lucas Moura, their shape just completely broke down. They had Cavani and Zlatan up front uh, with sort of Moura up there with them and then Di Maria too deep I think Di Maria needs to be wide in those situations crossing the ball not from deep areas but getting to the byline and pulling it back or whipping a ball in after beating his man so I think that tactically a few things they could definitely do Matuidi is going to be a big miss in the second half because second half sorry the second leg because he's you know his energy is absolutely brilliant in this PSG side so yeah. it's going to be interesting it's yeah. definitely mm. not done David Luiz also missing I believe for that second leg. Not sure yep. whether that's an advantage or disadvantage uh, based on tonight's still on. Yeah. Uh, Danny Z tweeting in saying, How much money would you spend for David Luis? Um, certainly not 50 million. Half. Say. Um, half. How much is it? Half that. Yeah. Is it 25? Still I, th- I, think, I think 50 is so excessive for a player. Mm. They basically I mean, had to pay it because think... it, was, it was another you know, billion dollar club. That was the only reason they paid it. Yeah. Mm, I think um, that you could throw in potentially um, a tenner, a chocolate bar, half a sweet potato, and a packet of peanuts, and then you'd probably get in, right? <laughs> I'll do it. German Chica said, who is the better defender, Dave or David Luiz? Dave, I think, based on... He's, uh, I, mean, I think solid. Dave's got better pace. Dave or Rock O'Brien. <laughs> Dave, Dave's positioning. Um, I definitely think Dave's positioning would be better. <laughs> You know, we were saying this the other day. I mean, some, you know, uh, there are a lot of people out there who are very good at football. Like, technically, they're absolutely fantastic. And all the football freestylers who sort of go, and I'm not having a go at them, but they sort of go, we could have made it. You know, we, we were technically blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, I was, I was this, I was that. And you sort of go, yeah, but that's not the point. Like, the point is that you have to last 90 minutes and be as good and like your, your brain still has to work in that time. You know? Yeah, the mental aspect of the concentration. Mm. The understanding of the game and the perception of it in your mind is all about the position, isn't it? Yeah. All about how I mean, that, you interpret the game. That's exactly how I felt when I when I when I went with Liverpool to Old Trafford just a few weeks ago. It was a cold. It was such a hateful environment towards Liverpool, and rightly so. <laughs> you know, I, you you can't resent Mind that me. as a football player. But there are certain players then that sort of <laughs> r- that rise to the occasion, and then there are certain players who, yeah. who who you know maybe the noise gets them or any of those kind of things, and. Uh, or, you know, it's not just about winning at one time. I think for some people at the moment, there's a very short-termism, and, and that short-termism seems to strike Real Madrid time and time again. Mm. Of course, the other game tonight was Wolfsburg be Real Madrid. 2-0 to Wolfsburg, that one finished, Dave. First ever UEFA Champions League quarterfinals. It's now five wins out of five at home in the Champions League. A very impressive performance and campaign from the German team. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, we spoke about their campaign before and how that you know they destroyed United twice with their defensive mm. uh, masterclass, quick transition, and, and nice and neat football. Uh, but you know, interesting in this game, Ronaldo scored what inside four minutes that was disallowed. I think it was. It was mm. it was borderline. It was just offside. But you know, if that decision had gone the other way, the game would have been completely different. What you'd say about Real Madrid, though? You know, look at the goals. Obviously, I was watching the Man City game tonight, so I've only seen the the brief highlights, but. The Real Madrid forwards, again, were not tracking back. And it was so frustrating because the Classico, they nailed it. They absolutely killed it. They made that mm. bank of bank of five. They were compact. They counter-attacked well. And it's just like, you know, uh, what do you need to do to these Real Madrid players? Can they only be motivated when they're playing the likes of Bayern Munich, the likes of Barcelona, the likes yeah. of Atletico Madrid? Or is that it? You know, it seems like they just sometimes they just can't get themselves up, up in the bigger games. And it's crazy. Maybe a bit of complacency there. Um, I mean... David Shanahan, 9.30 on Twitter, writes in saying, did Wolfsburg win because they're excellent or because Madrid were poor? Was Zidane out-tacticked? Um, which is definitely a word. It is. Um, Lawrence, did you manage to catch this one or have you seen any highlights? Have you got any thoughts? Uh, I've seen, I've seen it. Uh, obviously, I've seen the goals, uh, but I, what I have heard is that uh, basically, like Dave says, it doesn't look particularly impressive from the Real Madrid uh, forwards and that overall the formation I think I saw Squawker tweet out Danilo's game and it was all just about zeros for him so <laughs> almost a lack of effectiveness I think for those players zero tackles one zero aerials one zero inception zero blocks zero take-ons uh, what Squawker called a shocker um, so <laughs> yeah I think it's along the lines of the fact that players uh, didn't necessarily perform within what uh, Zidane had laid out for them but uh, I also feel like that's almost like a bit of surface analysis you've got to dig a bit, a little bit deeper on uh, because, you know, the whole point is to negate the other team. And just because a player sort of has low numbers, which is true, he's had a shock of that reason, it also may be that he was shut down by Wolfsburg in a particularly, uh, particularly effective way. And, there's, you know, they're 2-0 down. They've not got an away goal at that point. Um, that, that could be difficult for them in the yeah, tie I mean, if, they, you know, if, they, if they don't go back home and score first. Edvin Marr tweets in, Dave, and he says, can Real Madrid turn this around? As Lawrence says, there, it's a difficult position where they are going back to the second leg at the Santiago Bernabeu, which is obviously somewhat of an advantage. Yeah, definitely. But I think they, they can, obviously, the firepower they've got in that side. But again, it's the work. You know, Wolfsburg will outwork you. And if, you don't, right. if, you don't, if you're not up for it and you don't want to work harder than them, then you'll lose the game, you know. But it's going to be a big contest. They've got to, you know, they've got to again score, score the early goal, uh, and then really look defensively sound. We saw Sergio Ramos at the weekend completely lose his head. He can't do that at all. Um, but there's definitely there is goals. Gareth Bale's looking like sort of bang on form again, again. So the highlights are just coming in live now. Gareth Bale whipped in a cracking ball from the left, and Benzema missed another chance. So it wasn't like Real Madrid didn't have the chances. So I feel like yeah, it's it's, it's bang open, and Real Madrid could easily get back into this tie. Mm. Um, I think I, my prediction was Wolfsburg to go through, so I'm very happy. And I think it's it's nice to see an upset in a way. But Could as you say, you're counting chickens now. I mean, that's always healthy. No, <laughs> like I said, I think Madrid have got every chance of bringing this back. And, you know, I think they're, they're, any complacency they had will have been shaken off after that result. They'll, they'll know what they have to do going into that second leg. And we, we all know the quality of Real Madrid. So did, it'd be interesting did, to see if they get back into it. Did, did Wolfsburg you, uh, tweet out the picture? They did. So if, you've, if you've seen the, the famous now 
infamous picture from after El Clasico where the, the picture was published of Real Madrid celebrating in the dressing room and Ronaldo's there tensing just in his underwear. Uh, the Wolfsburg uh, Twitter. <laughs> uh, a nice Photoshop of that. Photoshopping in their mascot into those celebrations, which is uh, a nice touch. Top points for uh, for social media there, Wolfsburg. Um, hopefully, we'll hopefully they'll go through just for that. Um, <laughs> did you manage to see Marcello's dive? from the game yeah again just going on the highlights real well that was pathetic <laughs> so he kicked He's out still, um yeah. kicked out on max arnold uh like a like sort of a back heel uh, thing it's sort of max arnold just keep, kept following me turned around went into headbutt him and then went down so he, mm. marcelo like sort of caught him on the way back up and then just fell over pathetic good man tom <laughs> foolery i think he deserved an oscar personally um <laughs> the previous night the big game Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid. 2-1 to Barcelona in the end, Dave. It looked a bit shaky at first. Atletico Madrid were playing very well. Obviously scored through Fernando Torres, but it was here to Villain, wasn't it? He was sent off not long later. <laughs> but Atletico Madrid players coming out tonight uh, and yesterday sort of complaining about how UEFA protects Barca, sort of hinting at some sort of mass conspiracy. Would you, would you go along with that? It seemed pretty stupid of Torres' actions there to get that second I, I, I don't, Yeah, I don't know. I think it was pretty much uh, it deserved a red card. You know, two of the tackles were very, very silly. It sort of mirrored Sergio Ramos in the in the Clasico. But I think there's a stat today saying that Barcelona have had the most players sent off against them um, in the Champions League in Champions League history. Uh, but again, Atletico have started really well. It was very similar to their league game in January, where again they took the early lead um, and then they lost, and then they up. Uh, uh, league game was a little bit different. They did concede two and then lost a man. But in this one, obviously, they lost a man then conceded goal. But I, I really liked how they set up again with um, Fernando Torres up front. It was an interesting selection. They played um, Ferrasco up top with Griezmann in the last game. Worked very well. But I feel that Atletico in the last few weeks have missed that sort of target man or just a striker to play up there who's good in the air because they do cross the ball a lot. I thought Koke in the first half was so good. The through ball for the goal was excellent. But the way that he was cleaning up, um, you know, Gabriel was holding and he was playing sort of a as a central midfielder in front of him and he was just cleaning up so well, you know, winning the ball, distributing it. But then that Barcelona, you know, they did kind of switch it on and they hit that sort of, was it 60 minutes? They started to really, really go at them, really pile that pressure on and, and Suarez did take his goals very, very well. But mm. I was a little bit upset in a way because again, they, they, they had the momentum, they had the game and they a stupid red card. Mm, what about... Um... Luis Suarez, Lawrence, because there was a lot of controversy about whether maybe he should have been given a red card in the third half. In the first half, sorry, the third half. kicking out a Juan Fram, kicking out. Uh, yeah, I think uh, in in both instances, I actually think um, uh, the, the, the obviously referee. This is the problem, right? Is it, it can apply to the situation immediately. So we go, well, you know, both one player should have been sent off, the other should have been sent off. I do feel mm. one of the cards was a little bit harsh on Torres. Um, especially considering the stage that we're at in the competition. I think Dave's right, you know, that both of them can qualify as that. I think you probably say the same about Suarez. There's mm. there's still that hint for Suarez that there's always a little bit of danger with him. And I think if he loses that, then that's probably going to take away from other elements of his game. But I think that's kind of the point with Suarez and with Barcelona is they need, almost need to protect themselves and they create this mystique around themselves, which I think gets to the other team and definitely gets to teams like Madrid who need to attack them with that high sort of intensity. And I think for the second leg, they're just making people aware of what they're trying to do. And, you know, for a very long time, Barcelona have sort of ideologically owned Europe with sort of being like, no, we play beautiful football, you need to protect that. But mm. it, it seems to be changing a little bit now that, you know, with the appreciation of people like Simeone um, and other high-intensity managers 
who were also very charismatic and seemed to be able to extol the virtues of playing in that way, we're seeing it's less just about playing that kind of football. Um, and obviously we're seeing the nasty side to Barcelona as well. So, you know, it's not as if they're these kind of angels who glide through Europe whilst everyone else tries to sort of take them down. Mm. It's a, a dangerous scoreline for Barcelona, Dave. Of course, after that red card, they were sort of on top for most of the game, sort of pouring forward. Atletico had every man behind the ball for, for the majority of the second half. And it always looked like Barcelona were going to get their goals. But 2-1 is not exactly the most convincing scoreline, especially when Atletico get the away goal. Who's your money on in that second leg? No, for me, I think it's definitely going to be Barcelona. I feel like losing Torres, as I mentioned before, how I feel Atletico do lack a target man, lack a striker this season, especially mm. being a goal down. That's quite a lot to ask for. And we know what this Barcelona can, team can do. You know, Rio Ferdinand did a great, great interview with Gerard Piquet and was sort of talking about the what, what the difference was between Pep's Barcelona and this and Luis Enrique's Barcelona. And what he was saying was that this Barcelona team can play the possession football, can drain the life out of the opposition, but they can also sit deep and they all can also counter-attack with pace. And that's something that they didn't have under Guardiola. It was too... It was too much like Louis van Gaal's Manchester United. The transition comes and it just the ball comes back. So he's just saying that the team's evolved even more. So you think about those two dangerous weapons there. One, they've got the goal, the, the advantage so they can just keep the ball circulating. And two, they've got the pace on the counter-attack. So for me, it's kind of game over. And they're happy to defend. Another really interesting thing PK did say was they're now happy to defend on the penalty area. You know, that had never happened with Pep. With, uh, Pep. He wouldn't be happy for that. You know, he'd want the ball back. But they're just happy to defend. And now they've they've sort of become a better defensive unit in a way where... Uh, Busquets has become even more of a hub. Piquet's in great form this season. Alves looks pretty decent going defensively as well. Mascarano's obviously in there and Jordi Alba. So they do do a lot, but look a lot better. Uh, you know, their unit looks a lot better. But we've seen in recent weeks as well, the forwards not working back again. Makes me so angry. Neymar, do some bloody running. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Dave, you, you've said that quite a lot recently, but there is that sense that maybe they have almost abandoned that sort of and the collective defensive mm. uh, unit but uh, what I thought was interesting yesterday about the game Lawrence was that Barcelona did really struggle to sort of break Atletico down before that red card I thought the the MSN the failed MSN looked quite fatigued they didn't look like they were on the top of their game struggling to sort of uh, passes to come off shots to come off I think that's the worry for Barcelona that going into this sort of crucial stretch of the season in, in, in free competitions that they're so reliant upon that front three if they're not firing on all cylinders that's where problems start to creep in I think maybe the, you know it would be tempting to say that consistently but I do think that other, there are other really key players for them within that Barcelona side who are going to help mm. them break it down more um, yeah, and basically if you keep pressing with those guys and that shape and the movement especially of Suarez then in the end you're going to end up breaking them down whether those players look uh, tired or not I think um, and, and actually I think it's more uh, you know like Dave was saying they've really adapted the system and, and found more from it than essentially changing it and making it into something completely different. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, Pep's got his own ideas and I think they've definitely moved away from those towards a more pragmatic style of football. But I, I still think, like, you know, even if those three aren't from the front, we, you know... Do you, do you guys think at all, though, that... I'm trying to work out the way to put it, really, because... You know, they, they are, they're massively prolific and they are incredible, which means a lot of goals don't come from other people on the pitch. But it's not as if those other players don't have the capability of scoring those goals. It's just that it's very rare that we almost need to see that. So, you know, why, 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 you know, why mm. underestimate those guys just because these other guys are shining so bright? 
don't I, I don't underestimate them. As you say, they obviously fulfill certain roles, but especially last night from watching it, it seemed a lot of the play was going through Messi. He's kind of the the centre point of everything, and he he was struggling at first. He, you know, the passes were off. He was getting tackled easy, and we saw the same thing uh, in El Clasico. Mm. And when that, even though the other players are obviously incredible players, they're massively capable. When him as the central figure and Neymar and uh, Suarez just behind him, when they aren't firing, it just seems it's not quite functioning as well as it could, and especially, as Dave says, if they're not contributing to the defensive play as well. Mm, I, th- I think that's a big thing as well. You know, ne- ne- Messi's been too deep and too narrow lately. He needs to go out and just stand on the touchline for a bit and pull people out because that's the brilliant, the brilliant thing about Messi. Wherever he goes, he's going to draw people. So if you want what Enrique sort of done, playing Suarez through the middle... Uh, Suarez obviously can take a number of defenders because he's a, his movement's excellent. But having Messi in a wide position near the touchline will stretch the defence and open up space in the middle for the likes of Iniesta, for the likes of Rakitic, for the likes of Neymar if he wants to drift inside to pick up that space there and, and it'd be a bit freer. What we're seeing now is Messi coming inside, but him pulling all these players in, which is just getting... There's too many bodies in the middle. I really think that uh, Enrique needs to... Obviously, Messi's a, an enigma and he's going to be difficult to communicate that to, but you need to stay wide, open the space up, we said too many times to see Rakitic, uh, you know, do, pulling the overlap. Yes, Rakitic can do that, but it's just too congested in the middle. And sometimes mm. when you play this possession style, you need to go wide to open people up, and then the quick switches on, and that's where you score the goals. Dominate down one side, bang centre midfield, bang other side. There'll be an overlap. There'll be a man over. There'll be a free man. And I feel that the Bar- this Barcelona team needs a, needs a tiny, a tiny bit more. To win this Champions League, and they need to they need to click again. It doesn't feel like they've clicked yet. We're in we're in uh, April. Mm. It's gonna be fascinating to see who goes through. I think my pick would be Barcelona, as, as Dave sort of said himself. There, I mean, Lawrence, would you be confident in in Luis Enrique's team going through? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think just because of the way that the legs are oriented as well, it probably makes sense uh, for those guys. Mm. Um, and although I, you know. You know, I would really like to tip, tip Atletico for this. Because <laughs> the narrative makes sense. I think we can see where football's going right now. And as much as I love that Barcelona team, I, I also really like this Atletico side. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Torres when he got sent off. Because you just like, <laughs> I don't know, there's, I have sympathy for all He made guys. his bed. He made his bed. He did. He made his bed, mate. Then you say the same about Florentino Perez, (laughs) and then uh, you know you imagine Rafa (laughs) smiling very smugly somewhere tonight. Um, (laughs) I would have played it different. Does does this? You can see where football's going. Not that smugly with Newcastle probably getting relegated, but you're definitely showing signs of the fact that they are playing. I mean, you know, there there are huge signs of what is better about that Newcastle team. Um, Mm. You know, in, in and what would have maybe been better. Uh, would have been the tactical reading of Rafa Benitez of a German side, um, but mm. it, it, you know it does show the maybe maybe not ta- tactical superiority, but the trend at the moment that the Bundesliga uh, has and being able to pick other sides off. I hope that just doesn't move on to Thursday as well. The <laughs> final quarterfinal before we get on to Thursday, the final uh, Champions League quarterfinal was Bayern Munich versus Benfica. 1-0 to Bayern Munich, it ended Vidal scoring in the second minute. Um, failed to really build on that, didn't they, Dave, after that? Benfica, very well-organised team, and uh, Bayern Munich, despite the early goal, couldn't really uh, get any more goals to sort of put them in a more commanding position. Yeah, it was um, a very interesting game, obviously. Chappie Alonso didn't start for, for starters, obviously. Weird. All three of us were, were gutted 
didn't know what was going on. I was pep- drinking last night. Um, but no, I think Benfica were, were good. Again, they um, they did operate a little bit differently. You know, I've said that teams that do well against Bayern this season, they do press them in phases high up the pitch. Benfica, like you mentioned, did sit quite deep. Um, but, you know, Arturo Vidal was the best player on the park. Uh, scored a goal, won two aerial duels. Got three shots on goal, four clearances and six tackles. That's a pretty decent defensive midfield position. But it's going to be interesting because this Benfica team, as I've been saying, are a good side. They've got Matroglu up front. They've got Jonas. They're two players that can create, you know, that can cause problems. So I do feel this tie is maybe not over. Mm. No, I, de- I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think we saw Pep Guardiola before the game saying Benfica had the best defence in Europe, which although maybe a little bit generous is definitely not you know, outside the realms of possibility. I mean, they did... Uh, constrict Bayern Munich and they seemed a little bit lethargic Pep Guardiola's team mm. and again a 1-0 uh, lead going into a, an away tie is not an exactly a commanding position you, you think Benfica can cause an upset like potentially well yeah I mean but I think Dave said that for quite some time with this Benfica side hasn't he and you know mm, yes. maybe we were wondering that when they all came back from the international break together on um uh, yeah, basically, you know, that, that this is quite a, a thick set of games at the moment. You know, you've got the international break and then you've got another league game and then you go pretty much straight into the Champions League. So I do think that's a lot for those players to take in a very short space of time. Um, mm. I don't necessarily think we manage this part of the season best, but I suppose that is, again, supposedly part of the challenge. But then you are asking footballers really to just put their bodies maybe just a step where they don't need to. You know, you could just make the season a little bit longer. Mm. Um, that is a little bit of Champions League reaction then uh, to those fascinating first legs of the quarterfinals. Another first leg of a quarterfinal coming up tomorrow night, Lawrence. Mm. Borussia Dortmund versus Liverpool. Potentially the biggest game of the season mm. for the Reds. Jürgen Klopp returning to his former club. Yeah. Feeling confident going into this one? Feeling like if you, know, if you portray Liverpool as the underdogs, then... You know, and they believe it, then that's great. Um, but I think Liverpool before saw themselves as underdogs who were able to achieve. I think the reason Liverpool are underdogs in this one is because actually, you know, Dortmund are actually just a much, much superior side who are far, far ahead of Liverpool and where they are in their curve. So yeah. um, it's not as if it's like the plucky underdogs of Liverpool going against this Dortmund side. It's actually the tactical... Um, um, you know, basically the underdogs because they're not as good a side. And most people, there's a difference between underdogs who are meant to win and underdogs who are just meant to kind of lay back and take it. Um, so, you know, it's going to be an interesting tactical watch to see if, because, you know, it's kind of like the master and the pupil with Tunchel and, uh, yeah. um, and Tunchel and Klopp. And also, you know, the way that Klopp built that club up essentially within Europe and did so much with them, that's what's going to be the interesting side is, What's Klopp going to do against a system which isn't, isn't actually not uh, his anymore um, and has been shown to sort of move on a lot from a lot of what he tried to implement with that side? What, mm. you know, he's, he's basically playing a bit of a stranger now um, and that's going to be more interesting to see. Obviously, Dortmund Dave brushed aside Spurs 5-1 over the course of two legs, albeit with a much-changed Spurs side. They expect <laughs> Liverpool to go into a much stronger team. But they sort of have to stay in this first leg, don't they? They, they can't let it get away. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Because going back to Anfield next week, that's where they could have a chance. Yeah, but and you've, you've also seen the front three of Dortmund combined so well on the counter-attack this season, Aubameyang, Marco Royce and McTillian. So it's dangerous if they do go down a goal um, in either leg and then they, they push on, that would be very, very dangerous. I kind of feel that um, Thomas Tuchel might go with a, a back five. Uh, we saw it against Bayern Munich. I really feel that he likes that when he's playing against the team that presses so he can play out the back. I've probably mentioned it about 75,000 times, but I feel that's how he's going to set up and then playing the, you know, the likes of McTerry and Aubameyang up front. It's interesting to see where Grunduan's going to be back because he's got, a, I think it's an ankle knock. He's been out for five games. Um, so apparently he's back in training with uh, Matt Hummels, who had flu at the weekend. So there's two big players there that if in their side, that'll be a big difference. We saw um, how good Hummels was against Bayern Munich in uh, De Classica, um, really bossed uh, Thomas Muller, destroyed him uh, mentally. So if, you know, if, if, uh, two for wanted to go with that and get someone like Hummels to just sit on um, maybe Firmino, you know, playing a similar role for Liverpool, drifting into space, um, you know, creating lots of chances. If you want to go man for man there, that could be quite interesting, that battle. Mm. Lawrence, give me a score prediction. I think this one will end 2 1 to Dortmund. Okay, Dave. I'm going to go 3 0 Dortmund. Oof. I'm going to go three-one to Dortmund. Um, I think it's beyond Liverpool, unfortunately, but we shall see. We shall see, um, guys. That wraps up the Champions League reaction, the UEFA Europa League preview, I should say. There's been some really interesting news this week. We haven't got round to. Maybe we'll get round to it in the Saturday podcast, Q&A podcast. Allegations of doping in football this week. You know, the UEFA offices being raided by police following the Panama Papers. I've got the whole U.S. women's national team pay dispute going on. Yeah, and we've just skipped all that for all the stuff the white guys have done. Yeah, yeah, good. But I think I'm what I'm saying, Lawrence, is I hope we can get into that on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, we've got to talk about Champions League. We all had a great time watching it. Europa League, (laughs) big game coming up, but maybe Saturday we could talk about these issues, these interesting issues. For now, though, we've got Tancredi Palmieri on this week's podcast, the beating sport correspondent, Italian journalist and broadcaster. To talk about Antonio Conte, of course, who was earlier this week appointed, confirmed as Chelsea manager. We spoke to him to see whether he believes Conte is the right man for Chelsea. So joining me and Dave right now is Tancredi Palmieri, beating sports correspondent from Milan. Tancredi, thank you very much for joining us. 
Buongiorno, guys. So we are here, of course, to talk about Antonio Conte, who earlier this week was confirmed as the next Chelsea manager. Of course, Tancredi, a man with a reputation for success, three Serie A titles at Juventus, as well as two Italian Super Cups. Uh, what are your thoughts on Chelsea appointing Conte? Yeah, for a second I thought you you said that I was a man of recognised success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, that, that as well, that as well. That's <laughs> Antonio Conte, got a 100% converting rate on uh, um, on Serie A because uh, when he's taking a club from the beginning of the season because uh, he was in Serie A with uh, Atalanta uh, but he took the club in the middle of the season and he's a manager that needs to be there uh, working uh, on his team since the beginning of summer and well as you can hear today all the head on the papers are on uh, are on Antonio Conte is a huge Opening uh, home, um, opening page for Gazzetta lo Sport is called Conte of London. This is the guy that Chelsea need to establish consistency along the season. Uh, there is only one thing that is working against Conte, that he's taking one and a half, I would say. The biggest one is that he's taking the job in the same year when Guardiola is taking the job at Manchester City and probably Mourinho is taking the job at Manchester United. So his excellence might not be enough. Uh, but the other uh, half issue is the level of language he will be able to speak. Because uh, Antonio Conte is uh, absolutely a master of uh, tactics, but he is uh, completely a trainer of minds and of men. So he needs to communicate at, the, at his best with players. Uh, otherwise, it could be like some cases, for example, Prandelli, that it's hard for him to go outside Italy because he's someone that needs to communicate with his players, although if they are two, kind, two different kinds of managers. But still, the language is a barrier for him. I'm thinking also about Marcello Lippi, and many times was linked to Premier League, but he never moved abroad, and for that reason. So, yeah. Another interesting issue surrounding this appointment, Tancredi, is the sort of the match-fixing trial that's going on. There's some uh, accusations that Conte knew about match-fixing earlier in his career. Can you explain to us a little bit about that and what the potential outcome of that will be? Okay, obviously I'm not a judge and, uh, and I can't give a <laughs> sentence. Um, but let's recap in a few seconds. Well, first of all, Conte was already um, on a sports level, because what you are mentioning now mm. is normal trial, uh, what is in court, in normal court. So, uh, and that is a, a, co uh, a trial for uh, sports fraud, which is, uh, um, which is a crime in Italy. Mm -hmm. Outside of sport, it's a proper crime. Um, so, Conte was already suspended um, in football for three months, uh, two or three years ago. So long, so easily, three years ago. He was suspended for three months and he was in charge of Juventus, but he couldn't be there officially, so he couldn't sit on the bench, mm -hmm. he, couldn't, he couldn't speak in, um, in, uh, in press or in anything, uh, and also he wasn't there on the bench. Uh, when, uh, when Juventus was playing uh, in, UEFA, uh, in UEFA fixtures. Uh, but, uh, so, he, he was found already guilty for failing to report. This is a different kind of trial, 
and for Sporting Thought, as I said, and that is also a new uh, weaknessing that is adding to what we uh, knew before with this. And it is about another player that weakness that uh, he was there when the things were mentioned and that uh, he didn't do. He basically he, he was made aware of it, even if he wasn't part right. of it in organizing it, he was aware of it. Mm. So I would say that there are many things pointing in that direction. Then, mm. anyway, it's one thing is the sports trial, another thing is the is the normal trial. Okay, interesting. It remains to be seen in the consequences from that one. But see, the consequence, the consequences in sports. Uh, I don't know. I think you. I think in sports there wouldn't be. I mm. think the consequences would be that it could be sentenced to jail for six months. But wait, 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 wait. But when the sentence for to jail is under uh, under uh, three years, if I'm not mistaken, five or three years, depends on the kind of crime you commit. Uh, that is just converted in um, in a kind of fine or a kind, yeah, kind of fine or something like that. So you don't really go to jail. Mm. You are sentenced to that, but you convert the fine and other thing. Okay. So we'll, we'll put that aside uh, for a second then. You sort of said there that you think Conte is the right man for Chelsea. We've sort of seen he's got a, a reputation for being a sort of no-nonsense manager. He's been described as the Italian Mourinho over here. Um, we've even seen some questions about whether he's the right man in the British press, looking at the fact that, you know, Mourinho so spectacularly fell out with his squad at Chelsea, who imploded at the start of the season. We've seen some questions over here whether he's the right man. In Italy, he's known as the hammer, apparently. Well, he's a hammer. He's probably a hammer even more than Mourinho, because Mourinho is anyway establishing an empathy with uh, his players uh, that Conte is not establishing but is getting uh, them to the edge of what they can give uh, uh, to the cause. So if you speak with uh, uh, players of Mourinho, uh, just scrap off this last year at Chelsea, scrap off the last year at Real Madrid. If you speak with the group that he had, um, always it's like you are speaking with a a, a wild bunch of soldiers and their sergeant that had to that were um, parachuted in Vietnam to free some soldiers, some kind of special, uh, special, uh, I don't know, uh, a unit, yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, they speak about each other like someone, uh, like you don't hear commonly in football. It's not like that about Conte. They still are very committed. What Conte is able to create is. Uh, get the best commit possible commitment from the players mm. but there is not this uh, camerading uh, between the two parts like with the Mourinho so yeah. um, there are some points of similarity but we are really we are actually talking about two things that are different what it is similar is the I can say really the 100% focusing that you get from both Mourinho and mm. Conte and the preparation of the game and everything this though is different in fact as uh, what is becomes similar is that after a couple of years mm. after three years maybe the maximum the relationship between Conte and the players is getting a bit uh, weird because uh, it does get asking too much, you know? Yeah, uh, this Yeah, this reminds me a lot what I heard uh, from the group that were trained by Fangal. Um, mm. I heard that a lot from Barcelona, from Bayern Munich. Like, after uh, 
two years, two, three years, people are uh, fed up with the with the Valhalla. <laughs> and Conte maybe is doing that even more. He's not giving up. Like, it's really... Uh, Conte, he, he just, if he wants the target, he just doesn't care. He's going straight to the point. Mm. Um, he's able... Uh, okay, I will tell you this. Uh, so he was focused, completely focused on this episode. Uh, oh, sorry, on, the, on getting the record uh, for Juventus uh, at the third year he was there. Um, record of points. The title was already won since, since a while, since uh, something like two or three weeks. Mm. So there were like only two games missing to the end. So the players had accomplished absolutely to their test. Everything was perfect and fine. So they were playing the game before, uh, it was the second last game, and it was against Cagliari, already relegated. Now imagine how could be the attitude of, some, of, of a group, of a, of a team that won the title already since three weeks, mm. so many points, playing against at home against a delegated team. And he was doing this video lesson about the opponents to mm. his players, that you can imagine what, what their attitude could be. So, all in a, all in a sudden, Gigi Buffon broke in, well, broke, walks in the room, he's the captain, and interrupt the, the lesson, say, uh, sorry, mister, but we should speak, uh, I have to speak with the, with the guys about the uh, prize, uh, the fee we are going to get from the club for winning the Scudetto. Okay, you know, it's like, usually it's the captain that is uh, taking yeah. charge of this thing. It's not something like to die for, no? Well, Conte, gets completely mad, completely mad. <laughs> and, uh, uh, man, with Buffon, with Buffon, it's like he's standing and he's saying, you are an idiot, you are, sorry for saying that, you are a fucking idiot, <laughs> <laughs> and of all these people here, you are the most idiot, I could expect this from everybody, but not from you. He takes the DVD, yes, with him, he throws it to the wall, and he storms out of the... Of, so this is Antonio Conte. That's it, isn't it? Doing that to a player who's uh, deemed untouchable. It's a, yeah. like a psychological, very smart psychological thing for a manager, as you say, to get the most out of their squad when, you know, maybe they're getting complacent. I think that's a, that's a good illustration of how intense he maybe is as a manager. Um, you sort of talk there about how he's, he's different from Mourinho in, in many ways. Tactically as well, uh, he's quite different from Mourinho. Obviously, the 3-5-2 formation at Juventus brought him great success at the club. Um, how do you think he's going to change the way Chelsea play? Well, um, Mourinho is... Uh the prophet of the 4 2 3 one mm -hmm. when, that, when that is possible for him. Um, Conte was a prophet of 4 4 2 um, that many uh, uh, remained 4 to 4 because his two wingers were extremely offensive. What happened is that he changed later to the 3 5 2 when at Juventus during the summer camp um, he had this, he had two new signings in, in, in midfield, um, Pirlo and uh, Vidal. And he wasn't aware of the level of Vidal. And along the summer camp, he realized how good he was. He had already Marquisio that was in the starting 11. So he said, okay, I have this three. This doesn't make any sense to the team. My point is I have to play the best and I have to adapt myself to the best. Mm. That is a huge, a huge, in my opinion, indicator of great uh, of being master of tacticians because he realized that he had to change what he believed for to make the best for the Juventus 
there he went for the 3-5-2 and there the 3-5-2 won the three school titles that won for himself even later mm. on when he replaced Marquisio with uh, Pogba so um, uh, I would say that it depends from the kind of squad yeah. he's having and the kind of signings he will be able to get mm. but uh, in principles he would go for 4-4-2 or 3 5 or three five two. Probably mm. he has already won more with three five two to probably prefer even that the first uh, lineup he, he was choosing. But to be honest, uh, see Chelsea got a very fluid situation. William Fabregas, uh, Azar, players that can play in different positions uh, for that. And so I wouldn't be sure with what Mourinho. Mm. Sancredi, so, you mentioned there that he, he changed to this system in a summer camp after you know seeing that he had two, three central midfielders of real quality. Do you feel it was um, more than that in a way where a lot of teams were playing a narrow 4-4-2 diamond in Syria at the point and obviously playing a 3-5-2 completely counter, counters that formation? Do you think it was a combination of him stumbling on it that kind of then sticking with it and realising that this really works against a narrow diamond. No, 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 I think it was his decision. He stumbled on the Vidal signing. The Vidal signing was, uh, was coming from Juventus, not from him. Also, uh, he was chosen by Juventus, but he didn't really have still the status uh, to be the one arriving at Juventus saying, I want this and yeah. that. Obviously, the club is speaking with the manager about the signing they are doing, but he was arriving from being promoted twice, not from winning three Italian titles, so mm. it's different. He stumbled on Vidal and he was uh, uh, smart enough to understand, OK, I have to change for, uh, for the good of the, of the team. We've seen some uh, suggestions over here that he might employ a 3-4-3 and that he wants to bring, yeah, he wants to bring Juan Cuadrado back to the club. He's obviously out alone at uh, Juventus at the moment. OK, Cuadrado is not starting, but as whenever he started or whenever he came from the bench, actually, he was one of the most efficient uh, in, in the game. Personally, I think that he should start, but probably Allegri uh, doesn't want to give too much uh, offensive, uh, uh, offensive attitude to you wants to keep things under control. That is reasonable, reasonable anyway. But what, should, what you should know about Quadrado is that he was probably the point of uh, uh, breaking with uh, Juventus, between Juventus and Conte. Because when Conte, uh, Conte left Juventus uh, four days after the beginning of the summer camp. Uh, this is another issue of him. Uh, sometimes it's too stubborn with, uh, with what is brilliant. That happened, I covered him since the, since the beginning of his career, when he was at Bari. And his good relationships always ended because of something like that, because of a, a stubbornness that would have needed only a bit more of patience and would have been sold. And that was uh, with Juventus. Um, he got impatient because he saw that they were not doing the signings he wanted. He was pretty uh, burned by the European failure he had. Uh, he suffered the, the, the year earlier because, uh, honestly, Juventus was eliminated in the semi-final of the Europa League by Benfica when the final was at the Juventus Stadium. Was kicked out by Galatasaray in the group stage, and he dared to say that uh, the fault wasn't of him was uh, of the situation of the financial situation he said what well, was the point to arrive to semi-final to quarter if anyway we are not gonna win which was a bit unacceptable and also dare to say 
uh, okay, we can't, we can't think to sit in a 100 euros restaurant with 10 euros in the pocket, which is a bit of a slap in the face for the, for the uh, owners, and the owners aren't whatever owners, it's just the richest family in Italy, you know? Uh, Quadrado was the breaking point, as I said, because he wanted, since one season Quadrado, Quadrado was costing a bit because it was uh, approximately 28 million of euros, something like that. Something like that. Uh, there wasn't a good relationship between Juventus and Fiorentina. He lost patience and he gave up and he resigned from Juventus. And, and now he got the chance to have Quadrado at Chelsea. So, Honestly, I would be pretty surprised that he would leave Quadrado go. Also because he's the kind of winger that actually he never had since being promoted with Bari, since he was playing the for, uh, for two, uh, moving, uh, mutating into, into the 4-4. to four. Um, At Juventus, he doesn't really have a winger like that. So maybe that could help to, have, to play again the 4-4-2 at Chelsea, for example. Or as he's doing with, uh, with Italy, 3-4-3-4-3. Another player that's been linked in the past week or so is Leonardo Benucci Tancredi. This is a player that Dave believes is massively underrated, obviously the Juventus defender. Do you think he'd be a good fit? For the system, yes. Uh, as quality of defender, absolutely, because, uh, because uh, there aren't at the moment so many centre-backs uh, in the world uh, are reliable, and he's absolutely... One of the top ten, maybe even top five, but surely one of the top ten. And there aren't so many around. My issue, my problem, is that these kind of players sometimes need a bit to adjust mm. when they move from Serie A to Premier League. That is the only thing. And uh, anyway, he got a, an English style uh, in defending, in marking, mm. because he's very physical. And I know that in England. Defending is more is more physical than tactical, while in Italy is one tactical. But I would say that among the the kind of Italian defenders, probably is the most English one. The, the final player that he continually is linked with apparently is his number one transfer target for the summer is Romelu Lukaku obviously doing amazing things over here with Everton in the Premier League this season someone that apparently Conte tried to sign for Juventus a couple of seasons ago so this one kind of adds up even if the fee may be massive yeah Lukaku to be honest um, he wasn't really someone that Conte said okay Lukaku or, or die mm. he was a possibility also because two years ago he had a he had a pretty solid, uh, a pretty solid uh, forward pack yeah. with Tevez and so on. So it wasn't really the priority. It was one option for Juventus, for which Juventus was in talks. Um, I think it could be an option for Chelsea account as well, for Conte of Chelsea as well. But to be honest, I think. I, there are, uh, it's very fluid the situation with center forward and with forwards. Mm. So I will stand by. I don't know if, uh, if, uh, if only Lukaku will be the, the, the target or if that will be the primary target. The primary target because the priority. Because the thing, the things are fluid. I mean, and, uh, I don't know Iguain, so many names and might move. Um, it's the first time. I hope for Conte will be ambitious, you know? Because when you are at Chelsea, uh, the ambition has no limits. 
it's like maybe in the end you won't be the one cashing out the most. But ambition and Chelsea got the, the good thing of belonging to that six clubs that got no limits when they want to spend something. So I hope for content that he will be ambitious. It's definitely going to be a very interesting summer, I think. The, the reports over here are that you know, Costa is determined to leave the club. Obviously, the squad needs uh, some to be revitalised, really, and they need to, to sell a number of players in order to get those replacements in. You know, John Terry is kind of one of the pillars of, uh, of Chelsea's early success. It looks like he's going to leave the club this season and next season in the Premier League. We're going to have so many top-class managers. Conte for one, Klopp, Pochettino are already over here, Pep Guardiola's coming, and maybe even Mourinho is going to be among those managers. Looks like he might join Manchester United, could go up against Conte, which would be an interesting matchup, won't it? Yeah, yeah, as I said, it's, it's, to me, with all the due respect to Pochettino, but I think that it should go... I mean, I, I thought he's doing his best, but it should go to get the league this season, because next one... <laughs> Conte, eh, Guardiola, Mourinho, and I would add also Klopp with Liverpool, with Klopp uh, having a, a solid summer to do signings, maybe not at the level of the others, but mm. I hope that, that the board at Liverpool will give him at least a, a 90 million euros budget. I mean, uh, that. I hope, I mean, think about what are the, the, the possibilities for Liverpool. I don't want to mm. change topic what we are talking about here, but no, no, no. think what, what is the budget of Liverpool. Think how much the, the house needs to be refurbished compared yeah. to the others. Think about the status of a manager they hired. I mean, if they don't give him a, a budget for signing this summer of that level, they are doing everything wrong. Mm. We sort of talked about over here that Conte, the Chelsea, is one of the worst kept secrets in football. Um, Mourinho to Manchester United is another one that seems everyone knows it's happening, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. Have you heard anything about this this uh, this news and whether it's actually happening or not? Is there any confirmation yet? Uh, well, from what are my sources? Two months ago, he reached an agreement. Uh, with, uh, with Manchester United, so it's like it's another uh, worst kept secrets in, uh, yeah. in football, yeah. and <laughs> things aren't still uh, be uh, haven't been released yet, only because they are they are still assessing things about his old salary. Okay. This is one thing I have to tell you. I've been struggling a lot to find out exactly what his salary is, because uh, so and. If I've been doing that for some time and I still didn't get the information, it's because then uh, uh, things aren't completely decided about that, that, that topic. And also because they don't want to uh, take, take the, how can I say, to harm the race of Manchester United for the Champions League because in the end, um, I, I, in the end, uh, this could harm, this could take establishment to the to Fangal um, because many things are going to change for uh, United if they don't qualify. You might reply, okay, so why City did that? Well, good question. Uh, probably because that was linked to uh, other uh, things that were in the same mechanism. So uh, Ancelotti accepting for Bayern, Ancelotti uh, not going uh, to City, in fact, uh, but actually it wasn't that. See, Guardiola has always been the first, uh, the mm. first uh, target. I'm certainly not going to United more than, than the other. So that move was linked to Bayern Munich and to another manager. This one is uh, on his own, 
So this is allowing to keep the secret more in that, that in that case. Finally, Tancredi, then, what are your expectations for Chelsea next season? Conte will be expected to at least secure qualification for the Champions League. I mean, do you think he will be able to finish in the top four with all these top-class managers and all this competition in the league? Yes, I say, I say yes in the top four. I wow. say that he starts with a, with a normal target, with the acceptable target of the third place. And that is what he has to achieve, to say, OK, you, do, you did your job. No, you did, your, you did a good job. You did the job you were expected for. Mm. Under that, he underachieves. Over that, he, over that depends also from the signing and the transfers he will have. But, yeah, I would say that in the starting grid, at the moment, it starts from the third place. Mm. Fascinating stuff, Tancredi. Thank you very much for joining us. If the good people, if the listeners want to find more of your work, where should they go? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> I'm bragging, I'm bragging around. No, no, no. Well, uh, Twitter uh, is at Palmeri, my account, or if it depends on where they uh, listen from, if they are in the States, they can see me, unfortunately for them, almost daily on Dean uh, Sports, uh, or they can uh, read me on Who Scored uh, or uh, see the blog that I'm there. Uh, if they don't find me, I will find them. <laughs> there you go, Tancredi <laughs> Palmeri will find you. Tancredi, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for you. Grazie, guys. Bye. Well, there you have it. Fascinating stuff from Tancredi Palmeri. Believes Conte is going to be a massive success at Chelsea. Reckons they're going to get straight back into the Champions League qualification spaces next season. Also, a little interesting stuff there about Mourinho. Apparently, it's a done deal. Another one of the worst kept secrets in football. Um, but anyway, that wraps up this it's not a secret, week's then, front is it? three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We are going to be back on Saturday. Hope you talking some of those issues I mentioned before. I look forward to it. I hope you look forward to it too. Lawrence, it's been a pleasure as always chatting to you on a Wednesday night. Uh, if the good people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they go? Oh, S Q U uh, A <laughs> W K A. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I guess yes. so. Uh, D A V E. Yeah, yeah. Find me Squawker there. Dave and Squawker Dave, where can they find you? Um, we'll go into Twitter and you put in A D A M B O U L T and then just put wood at the end, right? And you're sweet. Wood. That's what she um, said. Right. Um, if <laughs> Lovely. And if you want to find me, go at L O Z C A S T. I tweet often, regularly, yeah. and Incredibly insightful and amusing. <laughs> that was very kind. That was very kind of you to talk about yourself in such a way, Adam. That yes. Was... Wow. Funny that. Um, definitely keep an eye on the football public this week. We've got uh, an exclusive interview going up. Squawker Dave himself, yeah, Dave, yeah. By interviewing Rio Ferdinand to find out the ten things you never knew about Rio. Give me, give us a nugget, Dave. What are one of those nuggets? No, oh, is Nando's order goes in there. Um, what he learned from ballet, you know, loads of great shit like that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> loads of great shit. Loads of great uh, shit. If you want to see loads of great shit, watch the Football Public uh, this week for that. <laughs> Until Saturday, oh. though, have a bloody amazing week. I hope you have the what? best Thursday and Friday of your entire lives. Well, that's a good one. I like that. That's good, Adam. Well done. Yeah. Make sure you have... 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From banter. Yeah, yeah thanks, Dave's mum. Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> Bye.